With that said, um, we have enjoyed a series on the church. The last, this will be the eighth week and the final week. Um, I will return to John uh, starting next week. And if you look at John, I'm finishing the book of the 18th, uh, the 18th chapter of John, and it's going to get us, if I, can, if I can hold my ground and be diligent to press through, we'll hit the resurrection in 20 on Easter Sunday. So um, we're excited about that, and then we'll finish out the book of John in the month of May. So um, look forward to that. Read the end of John 18 and read John 19 and 20 in the next coming weeks as God refreshes your memory of where we're at in the book of John. Let me pray and we will do a review this morning of what we've learned the last seven weeks. Father, thank you for this morning. What a joy, my heart was just filled with joy. Even during times of difficulties, Lord, our hearts can be so filled with joy when when we are able to shut out all the things that want to grab our attention and think of Jesus. Be reminded of all that he went through, all that he suffered, All that he accomplished on the cross for us. So good for us, Lord, to slow down and ponder Jesus. Lord, we also are very well aware now, Lord, that he is the head of the church. And he greatly affects us. He captures us individually. He captures us corporately. We strive to the best of our abilities to line your church, Jesus, up underneath you. And Lord, though we are still growing and you're transforming us and we're learning, Lord, that is our goal. So Father, this morning, as we review what we've learned over these last few weeks, I pray that it would take hold in our minds and our hearts what we are a part of. We are part of the great bride of Christ. It is the only people who will withstand judgment. Only those who belong to Jesus will escape eternal judgment. And yet, even on this earth, you have gathered us together. A bunch of struggling people at times. People that don't have everything figured out, Lord. But yet, you washed us and made us blameless and called us your church, your bride. Lord, may we not miss the significance of this. And may we be careful how we conduct ourselves within the church. And may we work hard together to live according to the scriptures. So Lord, we pray that as we review this, that you would etch these things in our mind and in our hearts. May this be a place where we set up a pillar where the church has established Christ as its headship. He is our captain of our salvation, and we march to him in his word. So Lord, thank you for this series and what we've learned from it. May we now live it in Jesus' name, amen. My goal this morning is to review our series that we've had on the church, which we entitled Christ and His Bride, Um, We have together, through these last now eight weeks, uh, studied in order to better understand from the word of God how the Bible instructs us to conduct ourselves as his church. And and let me say this, though there is much more to learn, it is not um, all-inclusive doctrine of ecclesiology this morning, um, or throughout these weeks, there's still much to learn 
Our time has been spent to, to, to get a, a main basis foundation of who we are. And then this morning, my goal is just to review those thoughts and passages that we hit and then give you some concluding challenges as the church um, and as we individually make it up this morning. Well, the first week, and you'll see on the notes, uh, we can just go down through this and I'll quickly take you to passage after passage that we hit. First, we realize that there is diversity working in unity to glorify Christ. And turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, and we'll just quickly uh, remind ourselves of some of the truths that we learned and then move on to the next one this morning. So you can jot these passages down underneath that list uh, points in your bulletin and uh, tuck that away and be good homework, good reminder as you study this later. Romans chapter 12, 1 through 5 you remember this passage, it's based on the mercies of God. Everything said and instructed in this passage is, is founded in the mercies of God. If what we do is founded on anything other than the gospel, the mercy of God, then we're just a club. We're just a bunch of people that get together and um, talk about Jesus and do some things but eventually it will fail, it will fall apart. Mercy is what holds us together. Notice Paul said, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. That is the standard, that is what we do, that's what we hold to, we, we hang, we cling to the mercies of God. And this gathers us and causes us to present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices. One, we're alive, the Bible says we were dead in our sins, but now we're alive. Two, he washed us and made us pure, holy. He looks at us blameless now. That's how he looks at you and I. How do you feel this week? Do you feel blameless? Well, if we look just merely at, at our conduct this week, I doubt too many of us were perfect from Sunday to Sunday. But that's not how our Lord looks at us. By his mercy, he sees us alive now in Christ. He sees us holy, and we now take that, that holy life, that life that is alive, and we put it to God, we give it to God. And in fact, he says bodily. It is a physical sacrifice before God. And notice in the end of the verse, it says, this is a spiritual worship, a spiritual service of worship. We say, Lord, here's our lives. How do you want them used? Not, not how I want or I think I should be serving you, but what do you want? How do you see me serving you? I am only here because of your mercy. Notice verse 2, mercy causes us to be transformed. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't let the world set your agenda, your life, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you're going to prove what the will of God is. Everybody wants to know the will of God? Let the word of God transform your mind. Let that make your worldview Make your parenting, make your, uh, the way we live on the job and handle our neighbors. Let the transforming work of the scriptures soak into our lives. So many have such amazing decisions that wait for them tomorrow morning. Businesses, choices, parenting. Many of you moms school your own children at home. 
A lot of little ones in this crowd. Do you want to do that on your own? It's difficult. On our own to try to do these things, we, we don't have the strength, but according to the mercies of God, we can transform our minds. The scriptures can lead us through these transforming work. Mercy teaches us to think that we are not above someone else. Look at verse three. For, though, for through the grace given to me, I say to you among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. See, mercy makes you realize that you are part of something greater. Mercy fights self-righteousness. Self-righteousness destroys the church. Always has. Self-righteousness, when we think that we have something figured out above somebody else, their damage comes greatly. Mercy drives you to see yourself not more highly than you should. It keeps you in the right light. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need mercy. Without mercy, you perish eternally. And so it brings us back to where we should think. Mercy leads to this biblical, Christ-like humility. From there, and notice what the scriptures do here, from there it gives you sound judgment so that you can take this allotted measure of faith and serve the Lord within the church. Mercy gives you sound judgment of yourself. And now you take this faith that is allotted to you. And, and, and don't miss this. This isn't, this isn't a mark of salvation here. This is a mark of your role in the church. Because verse four, notice the context is about the church. For just as we are many members of one body, all members do not have the same function, so we are many and are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. So when we have a right view of ourselves because of mercy, that gives us sound judgment God gives us a measure of faith to serve uniquely within the church. And you say, well, how does that look? Well, if the Lord's going to send you to um, Mindanao in the Philippines, he's probably going to give you a measure of faith to be able to do that. Because you could die down there sharing the gospel. He's going to give you a measure of faith. You go, well, I don't think he's given me that, Scott. Has he given you a measure of faith to work in children's ministries? Has he given you a measure of faith to share the gospel at work, to be involved with a community group, to, to be involved with the church more than a Sunday basis? Has he given you that measure of faith so that you can fulfill verse four, that you are many members of one body? And we live that out. See, it's diversity working in unity to glorify Christ. Each one of us has a, diverse, a diversity to us. We're, we're all uniquely made but yet God looks at us corporately together to bring him glory. And notice the result is that, so we who are many, verse five, are one in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? That's what we're shooting for. Uh, this is a target, a goal of the leadership of the church, that we would be one voice, one voice serving Christ together, one voice chasing after him, we know our diversity is important because we bring different gifts, but there is a unity when brought together under the umbrella of humility and mercy that resound the Lord Jesus Christ. The second week, we turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we saw glorifying God through interdependence. Interdependence upon one another. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 with me. 
And we realize in verse 11 through 13 that the Spirit works uniquely, building and gifting the body of Christ. This is a fantastic verses and, and times you could spend hours upon studying this and never get to the bottom of it. But verses 11 through 12 and 13 remind us, one, that, that the Spirit of God baptizes people into the body of Christ. The Spirit of God immerses you, envelops you into Christ at salvation. He makes, he builds the body of Christ. He baptizes, immerses us in. But when he does that, the Bible tells us in verse 11 that he, he uniquely gifts individually as he wills. And of course, his will is perfect. And so the church is given what it needs. It's given a vast group of people with vast gifts to be able to function as one body. He doesn't leave us without feet. He doesn't leave us without hands or ears or mouths. He doesn't leave us without internal organs that most people can't see but are desperately important to the health of the body, as we know. He gives us what we need. And so as he works his way down through this passage, we see how God providentially, providentially designs the body of Christ. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, see how it pauses there, so everybody knows that they're not left out here, each one of them, in the body, just as he desires. What's your role here? Are you just holding down that one chair that you like to get? Is that your job? That's my gift, to hold this seat down. I don't think that's what the scripture's talking about. We need you. Otherwise, we become handicapped. We can't move. The body is given gifts through the individual believers. Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God have done that. Notice, as it goes down through 19 through 27, there shows us how God intended the body of Christ to be interdependent, not independent. And he tells this whole scenario of, of the foot and the eye and the ear and stuff, saying, well, I don't like being an ear. I, I want to be something else. Well, if you don't want to be the ear, who's going to do the hearing? A deaf church? That's pretty bad. We, we can't hear what God's saying and can't respond because we didn't take in the word of God? A foot? Oh, I don't want to be a foot. Well, the church doesn't move. It just stays still. It becomes a target for Satan and others to pick it off. It's not moving and growing. And so he shows that the body of Christ is tremendously dependent and what happens is when we don't see this, and the church of Corinth struggled with this, and that's why he points this out, what happens is seen in verse 25, so that there, will be, there may be no division in the body. When we don't serve, or when we say, well, my, my role isn't important, division comes. He says, look, all of these interdependent body parts of the church are, have a purpose and have a grand design by the providential hand of God, it stops division within the church. Serve, see needs, and meet them. And God blesses that work. Verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. We said this when we were talking, when we were in this sermon. We said there was a time when God incarnate walked the streets of earth. Jesus Christ. God incarnate came down, took on the flesh of man, fully God, fully man. He walked the streets of earth. Now God is incarnate in his church. We are the arms and feet and the visible evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called Christ's body. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is set around that. We are the body of Christ, and we should challenge ourselves, do we look like Christ? And I'll tell you, the only way we can do that is as each and every one of us fulfill what God has called us to do. Three, we looked at God's master plan for the body of Christ in Ephesians chapter four. In Ephesians chapter four, we did two-part sermon on this. We looked at God's master plan for the body of Christ. We were reminded there that God gave gifts. He gave leadership to the church. And then we looked clearly at what that equipping meant. And if you remember, I gave you five things to, re, to what the leaders of Christ's people, of God's people down through the ages were to do. One, they were to help you have a love for the scriptures. They would help you to trust the word of God. And you can see this all the way from Moses to, to modern day leaders, men and, and men who gave the word of God to, to God's people and men who didn't. Judgment that came when the, that scriptures were rejected. The goal to equip God's saints is to help them love the scriptures. Help them see the word of God. It's not just a talking point. This is what our church is established on. This is what our faith is established on. This is what our relationships are established on. Everything we believe is established within the scriptures. We are to equip you with that. Secondly, we said that we are to equip you with a desire for Christ, a love for Christ. That's one of our goals as leadership is to help the people underneath our care to love Christ like we love him. We always want to communicate that. We know it is what will give you freedom from worry and stress and that, that you begin to see Christ as glorious. He's beautiful. It's why we choose the songs we choose to sing. They exalt Christ. They push him out front. It's why we preach the way we preach, the way we counsel the way we counsel, is we want people to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. And, and let me say this. Seeing Christ suffer as movies portray him as, is not the Christ we're pushing you to see. The world goes and sees movies of Christ, and they see a crucifixion, but they don't see a cross. There is a huge difference between acknowledging the suffering of Jesus and believing in a cross that sets you free from your sin for eternity. And there's no way you can convey that through a large screen. And I'm not against some of the movies. I think they're probably good if you take some discernment and go. But be careful of those things. Some of them are just idolatry. You cannot put the cross and all that it means to a believer in a movie theater. That comes from the word of God. That comes from falling in love with, deeply with Jesus. Now, does God use those things? Certainly he does. But we love Jesus, and that's our goal to help our people love Jesus. That's our goal. That's what we, how we equip. We equip you to pray. We need to pray more as a church. We can't pray enough, can we? How much do you pray a day? I'm getting ready to teach a class on prayer at the seminary starting this quarter, and I'm just overwhelmed at how much I don't pray when you look at the amount of hours in my day. I, I feel like I pray a lot. <laughs> but as I read and study the scriptures on prayer, I'm overwhelmed at it. Do you pray? A lot of you carry such weight, such decisions that you have to make. Do you pray about them? Do you get on your knees with your family and say, let's beg God for this. 
Let's plead with them. Do we pray? Are they prayers that tell God what you want him to do? Or is prayer submission to you? It should be. Prayer is, brings us submission to him. That's how we equip. We teach the saints to pray. Fourth, we teach them to repent. Repentance is so good for all of us. Repentance brings joy. Let me say this. Restores joy back to your soul. If you keep fighting and denying everything and say, well, it's her fault, his fault, their fault. Oh, my boss's fault. Oh, the church's fault. If you keep living a life like that, you will be a joyless person. You know, I'll never stand before the Lord for somebody else. I'll stand for Scott. And we want to repent. We want to be a group of people who repent of sins, repent in our marriages, repent in our parenting, repent in our way we live our life that looks so much like the world at times. Repent. Learn to tell God you're wrong and he's right. Change directions. That's what the word means. It means going one way and saying, God, you're right. I need to turn around, confess, stop the train, turn around and go the other way. Repent according to the scriptures. And then fifth, we said that the leadership of God's people is to help people suffer. See, we can't stop your suffering in most cases. God may ask you to suffer, maybe physically, maybe um, emotionally, maybe um, economically, God allows his people to suffer. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says that he fills up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. It means where Christ's suffering stopped, Paul says we pick it up. First Peter, Peter said that Christ left us an example to suffer for his sake. There is suffering. And those who teach this prosperity gospel that believe in Jesus and boy, you got wealth and all that stuff, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because it's our suffering that causes us to depend on our Lord. You don't depend on your Lord when things are so great often. But when things get difficult, when you can't figure out the future, when you don't understand what the next step is gonna be, you gotta go to somebody and you grow. See, suffering is meant to bring you into the confirmation of Christ, to bring you into that more conforming image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do as leadership. We help. We help each other do these things so that we obtain, verse 13, to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, the mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the final goal, verse 13. We want to be pressing ever towards 13 when our Savior shows up. Verse 14, this keeps us from being like children tossed here and there by waves of wind, of doctrine, by trickery of men and craftiness of deceitful schemes. They are out there constantly. We, as leadership, ward off so many things that come towards the church that hopefully you never see. Just constantly pounding the church with false doctrine and trickery to get people to follow something else other than Jesus Christ. They look like it, but they're counterfeit. There's always a book. Do seven of these. Have ten of that. Learning to discern those things that will pull you away. Learning to speak the truth in love so it remains the truth. This starts 
the process of us growing up into him where, where everything about us, verse 16, is held together. So he's not only the head, but he's the joints, he's the ligaments, he's everything that holds us together. And so that we're built up in the love of Christ. Number four, we talked about the prepared church in the coming king. We looked at 1 Thessalonians 5. And we gave us a bunch of peas that morning. I don't know if you remember. Pray for your leadership. Pray for them. If you pray for them, you'll submit to them. If you don't pray for them, you'll get angry with us because you'll see our problems and you'll see our, our failures and areas because we have them. But if you pray for us, you'll submit to us. And it's very important that you do that because verses 12 and 13 command, these are all given an imperative to command that to happen. But it's done so that the church has direction as God has set. So pray for your leadership and all that comes their way in personal lives and public lives in church life. Then we said to prefer one another. Prefer one another. See those who are struggling, both spiritually, those who are faint-hearted and weak, and, and learn to have patience with one another. And don't repay evil for evil. Seek the good for all people. Prefer. Prefer one another. That's what God wants us to do. Don't compromise on the gospel, but prefer one another. A church that prefers one another, oh, God can do amazing things with them. We're not so hung up on the way we have to have things done. Notice we said pray and rejoice and give thanks for this is God's will for you. Rejoice always, verse 16. Pray without ceasing. That's that constant communication with our Lord and Savior. And give thanks in all circumstances and everything, giving thanks. Lord, I didn't want what you gave me this week, but you know better than I do. You chose this, and so, Lord, I accept it. I actually give thanks for it. Those are hard to say. They were hard for us as a family this week to say those things. They're hard. But Lord, you have chosen this for us. And we give you thanks. This is God's will for you in Jesus Christ, verse 18. Protect the work of the Spirit in your life, we said. Don't quench the work of the Spirit. Don't despise the prophetic utterances, the word of God affecting your life for the future. Don't don't let the work of God, the work of the Spirit, get sequestered, pushed down. When you choose to do things that are contrary to God and you don't feel the Spirit of God going, hey, I'm in here. You've sequestered the Spirit of God. You've suppressed Him in some way. You and I should have hearts that are easily pricked. Oh Lord, I know that thought was not of you. Lord, I want your spirit to be bright. I want to be sensitive to it in life. Just think as the church is individually sensitive to the spirit of God, how collectively we will be uh, encouraged and strengthened and driven by his word as a church. And then finally in that passage, we said, pursue Christ in his word and trust him with the rest. Verse 23 says, now may God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. You know, there's a point in our lives where we just have to trust him. Lord, I don't know how this is gonna end. I don't know, I don't know the outcomes of these things, but I trust you. A saying I've said to myself for decades now, 
I would I say this, Lord, I don't always know what you're doing, but here's what I do know. You are perfect in all your ways. I don't know how many times I've had to tell myself that. I said it this week many times. Lord, you are perfect in all of your ways. I submit. That's giving it to the Lord. That's being a prepared church. That's being a prepared individual for a coming king. That means your lamps are, your wicks are trimmed. Your lamps are full of oil. You are waiting. You are ready for the Lord's return because you are accepting his timing, his events that he is allowing in your life. You haven't gone to sleep and have dozed off and are not ready when he comes back. Fifth, we said the great revealed mystery of Christ and his church we looked at Ephesians chapter 5, which is that beautiful passage on marriage. I love this passage. Um, my Bible is, it's in one place where my Bible that's not supposed to fall apart. It's a lifetime Bible is falling apart. And I think it's just because I need to be here a lot. I need to learn to be a husband that loves his wife as Christ loves the church. It's a constant battle for us men. But we looked at it in, in light of verse 32. The mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and his church. And we took time to look at this in the eyes of the church. We, the wife of Christ, the bride of Christ, him being the groom, the head of the church. And we looked at it at that angle. Because that's the context of it, as well as a passage for marriage. And, and you can't separate the two. Husbands and wives our marriages in here are to reflect Christ in the church. Whether they do or not, that's the goal of the scriptures. But there's even a bigger picture that the church is the wife of Christ. He's our groom. He dressed us in white. He presents us to the Father. Think of that relationship that we have. See, this is what gets us excited about the church. That God has given us this position. There's no other organization, there's no other people on earth that have this label given to them. It's glorious. And we realized again that Christ is the savior and head of the church and we, we rehearsed through all the way through humanity why man needs a savior in that sermon. We started with Adam and Eve and we proved that man needs a savior. And not only did we get a savior, think about this, but we got a husband. A perfect husband, one who never fails, one who meets every need, one that we can rest in and be assured he would never fail or leave us. We realize that he had a sacrificial love for his bride. He gave himself for her, verse 25. We realize he had a purifying love. He washes us with the water of his word. He cleanses us with spot and wrinkle. He presents us holy to his father. Here she is. I've made her worthy to stand in your presence. What an incredible picture of a purifying love. We saw his faithful love of his bride. He's faithful, he's devoted, he cherishes and nourishes her. He, he cares for her as he cares for himself. And that's quite a, quite a thought when you think how God can love himself. His love for himself is perfect. You and I can't love ourselves. It's very dangerous to love ourselves in our humanity. We see it all the time, don't we? In ourselves, with other people. But God can love himself because he's perfect and sinless. 
And that's what he instructs, that that's how he cares, and that's why he can nourish and cherish us as he does so well. And then Christ has an unbroken, a devoted love for his bride. He will not leave her. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. And we know that as a marriage verse, but when you apply it to this text, you go, wow, what a profound statement. Do not let anybody come between Christ and his bride. It's worth fighting for. It's worth standing up for. Six, attitude of the church. Our dear brother, um, uh, what's your name? Um, Ron, um, preach a sermon. I listened to it. I got home and, and brought it up immediately and, and enjoyed it. I, I just, I knew where he was going. He told me about it and I thought he's going to do a great job with this. Attitude. Attitude. And, 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 you know, we chuckle with Ron because he'll bring us right into his home. Sorry, family. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know it. You know he's real. And he's, and he's saying, what is your attitude? And he took us to these verses in Matthew 20 that, that showed the attitude of humility. Christ humbling himself. And here's these disciples arguing who's going to be on the left, who's going to be on the right. And he says, you have the wrong attitude. I'm going to give you 12 gates, 12 judgment seats. But you need to have the attitude that I have. And and Ron led us right into Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Who though he being equal with God. Did not consider it a fallen place or, or something that was less than or something to be held on to, but he gave that up for you and I, and he came and he took on flesh. What an amazing verse. And if he doesn't come, we all die in our sins. Have that attitude in yourself, church of Jesus Christ. What an incredible message to be reminded of the attitude God is calling us to have. Seven, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time Does the bride reflect the groom? Does the bride reflect the groom? This is where things get practical now. We've looked at amazing passages of scripture, some of the most prominent passages in ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, we've looked at through this series. But now it's time to ask some questions. Does the bride reflect the groom? If you look at most married couples, they start to reflect each other. Isn't this not true? There's a certain attitude or a way we are. Many of you, I think of you, because I think of you as couples that are married in here, and we see you. You have a certain persona about yourselves. That's good. And most of the time when we say, Ron, can I use you? Ron and Karen. We see Ron and Karen. I just, Ron and Karen. We know Ron, Karen, Firstbrook. We put them together. They reflect one another. They've been around each other. They're, they're reflecting their, their attitudes, their desires. They, they just know them. I hope you see that in Scott and Gina. Put your couple in there. There's a reflection there. There's something that's rubbed off on each other. But when it comes to Christ's bride and Christ being the groom, we should reflect him. Right? When... When the outside world looks at the church that gathers at Grace Bible Church in the corner of Monterey and Six, there should be a Christ-likeness about us. 
There should be things that reflect. And, and being around the groom a lot, you should come away with a reflection. When Moses had come off the mountain, what happened to him? His face shined. He'd been in the presence of God, hadn't he? And bothered those who were in sin and they made him wear a veil because they didn't like it. Paul reaccounts that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When the veil is taken away in Christ, we see who God is. We see Jesus. We see God through Christ. And, and when you see a, and, and study the life of Moses, he was so sold out. He was a servant. Hebrews 3 said he was the servant, the keeper of God's house. Though Christ is over the house, he was the keeper of it. He had a relationship, and his relationship reflected his love for God. Thus ours should too. And there should be a reflection that comes off of us. Could be a lot of things we could write down, but one of the things we would say about our groom is that he's holy. Isn't that a good thing? Holiness means absent of evil and sin. That's what the word means, the Hebrew word. Absent of evil, absent of sin. Our groom, the head of the church, is sinless. He's sinless. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the head of the church and he couldn't have saved us and there was no redemption for us. So we know he is holy. So the church, us, the, the bride, should reflect this. First Peter chapter 1, 14 through 16 says this, do not be conformed to the former lust which you were in your ignorance. There's a certain ignorance. When you're, when you're dead in your sins, you have no pulse towards God, you have no desire to God, so you act ignorantly. You just go along where the world wants you to, right? The prince of the powers of the world just says you're gonna go this way, so you just go this way. The TV box says do that. Oh, well, let's do that. There's an ignorance to that. Not, not an ignorance of you're not going to be judged for that. Sin is sin. But that's where we were. But then he says this. But like the Holy One, a reference to Jesus Christ. He's the context in 1 Peter 1. Who called you, kaleoed, called you out of that ignorance, out of that worldly lust. Called you out. Be holy yourself also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So there's a holiness that the church needs to be pursuing. Now let me clarify this, and we have to nail this down because it's dangerous. There is a great difference between holiness and self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is terrible. It, it says that, hey, we got it figured out. You guys just follow our way. Dangerous. We look down at other people. We look down at parenting. We look down at marriages. We look down at this person and that person. And we look down, we look down, we look down. No, the word of God says to be holy like your groom. And holiness for us starts with brokenness and repentance. Learning to say, oh Jesus, you set the example. You set the attitude. I want to follow that. And Lord, prick my heart. I think I'm engaged in things that the world loves. And I probably should relook at that and see if that's of you. And you begin to examine things in your life. You go, I need to get rid of this. This, this attitude, this, these things I'm enjoying, they're not of God. I'm not reflecting my groom. I need to give up on these things. You say, well, Scott, how do, we, how do we go through this process? Let me give you just quickly some points here. That, just some thoughts. They're, they're, they're not, there's many others, but just 
things I want to hit this morning to help us. One, you want to be holy, be discipled. And you say, well, hey, you do know me, Scott? I'm 20 years in the faith. You may need further discipling. Be discipled. Get with somebody, pastors, community group leaders, men, women that you trust, that know the word of God, who live out and say, I need to be discipled. I don't know my Bible very well. I don't know what the Bible has to say about many issues. I need to be discipled. Start there. God wants you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. wants you to be a follower of Christ. Find someone who's been following him and follow that person. And if that person's going towards Christ, they're going towards the right direction. Be discipled. And there's lots of avenues for this. Go to the newcomers, new members class. That is a class of discipling. That's where that class is going. Sign up for that. They will get you into a fundamentals of faith and they will help you grow. If you're not in a community group, and I know you go, Scott, you're nailing this, I'm gonna keep because that's where so much growth happens. People are growing in this church. They come to me and they say, Scott, I am growing at paces I've never seen in my life. I give God the glory. But community groups, it's impacting my life. Be discipled. That's where holiness starts to happen. Get in small groups. You go, maybe you're out and out of town. Much. Meet with us. We'll help you find somewhere where you can be discipled. We will meet with you individually. Gain a stronger understanding of the scriptures. You want to be a, a, a bride of Jesus Christ? Gain a stronger understanding of the scriptures. Say, Lord, I want to know you, so I need to know the word of God. If you don't have a Bible, ask us, we'll give you one. Now, I understand a lot of people are electronically, and I see you guys on phones, and your, your scriptures are scriptures, right? And they may be on your iPad, or they may be on your phone, or they may be, I understand that. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is actually knowing the Bible. Why do we have an Old Testament? Why do we have a New Testament? Fundamentals of faith class teach that. Where do I find this? How do I know? How can I share the gospel from the scriptures? How do I, what do I know about parenting? Should I homeschool my children? Should I send them to post school? That's all going to be answered. The scriptures handle those things, and, and, and they don't just say homeschool or go here. They give you wisdom and discernment to know. This is what the word of God does for you. Gain a stronger understanding of the scriptures. You know, it might take you getting a Bible and saying, hey, can we come by the office and you put tabs on it so I can find my way around? We would love to help you do that. So that you come and those Scots going through scriptures like there's no tomorrow sometimes, and you're just getting to Ephesians and I'm already under Revelation, you start messing with the word of God. You start trying to find your way around it. Get a Bible reading program. I was talking to Michael this morning. I just finished Deuteronomy, my own Bible reading. Wept yesterday at the death of Moses. Just overwhelmed. I have read through the Bible, I don't know how many times. It impacted me so greatly yesterday as I read of the death of Moses and how God used that man. Just amazing. And now I started Joshua this morning. Men, if you want a, a great book to read, Lord of Rings has nothing on Joshua. Everywhere, God said, everywhere your foot steps, I'm giving it to you. The man cleans house. And he trusts in the head, the host of the army of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ. Amazing story. Get a stronger understanding of the scriptures. Third, put the priority of Christ in your life. Is Christ a priority 
So that means worship. Do I sing with the church? Do I see him more than just a savior at the time of salvation? Is he my savior on Monday school like he is on Sunday school? Does he mean everything to me? Why do these people are so excited? Why does Scott get so wound up about Jesus? I don't have that. I want that. Pray for it. Say, Lord, please help me have Christ as a priority. Baptism. So what's the big deal about baptism? Two ordinances given to the church, commands to do. One, observe and remember him in the Lord's table. We do that the first of every month. We take time to worship in that aspect, Lord's table. Two is baptism. And the reason why baptism is so important is when people step into the waters of baptism, they say that they are accepting the whole truth of a triune God because we baptize you in the name of what? Father, Son, and the Spirit. You're accepting the whole truth of triune God as recorded in the scriptures. You're identifying with Jesus Christ. I am identified. I'm immersed in Christ. By the way, that will get you killed in most countries. And when you are baptized, you're identified as part of Christ's church. That's how he did it. That's why they left Jewish faith and religions of the world and they were publicly baptized because they said, look, I'm with Jesus now. I know it's going to cost me. I'm going to lose my name, my job, my family. And if you travel at all around this world, I have met believer after believer who lost all of those things because they were baptized. And baptism is not salvation. It's a reflection of your salvation. It's given to the church. It's not given to anybody else. Be baptized. Come, talk to some of the leadership. Say, I need to be identified with Jesus Christ and part of the church. Give. Want another priority? Be a cheerful giver. So here we go, giving. You know, giving is such um, a teaching of your soul. Giving is where our priorities are. Think about what you give to. Is your cell phone bill more than what you give to the church? Giving. Look at, let me show you a passage here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 9. Pray for the children's ministry across the street. I'm going to go a little bit long. But we have to see some of these things. I love them and I'll repent to them later. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. Hang on, Ron. We're going to do that song. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. Look at these verses. Now this I say, now, now understand the context. Probably the wealthiest group of people in all of the New Testament is, is the Corinth church. This is, this is San Francisco. This is San Diego. This is the ports of the world coming through this town. These are not poor people. So this is what he says to him. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it. We're, we, gospel brings joy. Joy brings giving. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficient in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. And people say these little catchphrases, but they're true. You can't outgive him. He's an abundant God. He's abundant God. Turn back just one chapter at the beginning of 8. 
And here's what Paul does. Here's this wealthy church in Corinth that's more caught up of whether they have this gift and why people don't let them get up in front and exercise it. And he brings them to the church of Macedonia in chapter eight, verse one. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Look what they did, verse four, begging us with much urging for the favor to participate in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. What an amazing verse. Here's the rich church not giving at all. The poor church under great persecution, under great affliction, says, hey, we want to be involved. We want to give to the work of the Lord. See, giving is what it, we give to where our heart is. We do. And giving is one of those things that starts to transform the way you think about Christ. And we, we want to encourage you to give joyfully. So some of the things that we're moving towards, one is we're going to put giving boxes in the back. And there's a reason why. Um, we may stop passing bags here pretty soon because we want you to give to the Lord. And giving's changing in this 21st century. You know, many of you give electronically. Your, your gift to the Lord comes in the mail. And then we stick a bag in front of you on Sunday. We want you to give to the Lord. Giving is changing. And here's what we ask. Examine. As you, husbands, wives, singles, you go home, sit down with each other and say, do we give to the Lord cheerfully? Do we give? It's not about the need money. It's about us growing in a love for Christ. Where my treasure is, there, what? My heart is as well. Where's your treasure? That's where we give to. A couple last thoughts just on how to grow and how to capture and, and see Jesus for who he is as the head of the church. Men, lead. That'll change our church. Men, lead. Paul encourages this church in Corinth said, act like men. We have a nation and a world where men are stepping back and are not leading. And you cannot prove from the scriptures where that is right. Church needs men. Men who love Jesus. Men who lead. Men who care about their children. Men who disciple their sons to be leaders. Lead. And, and being a leader doesn't mean I get to say what happens and be mean about it. It means you lead people to the glory of Christ. Men lead. Women have a desire to love other women and to love children and to teach women to love their husbands. Teach us as the church women what the picture of a loving bride looks like to Jesus. Godly women teach the church how to act by the way they conduct themselves with their husbands and with other women. It is a great example. Don't ever see your role as less. It is equal but different. God has given men and women equal roles to bring glory to God, to bring glory to Christ, but he's given us different roles to bring that glory. And if we don't do our roles, God is not glorified as he intended himself to be. 
So men lead, women teach, lead, show an example. We need that dearly. Missions, we are revamping missions right now. We're working on it. Ted and I met this week and we're gonna present to the elders what we're working on. We're very excited about redoing missions. And here's a quote that Ted and I came across that was from uh, William Carey, what we call kind of the father of modern day missions. He said this, some go down into the mind and some hold the rope, but nobody stands by and watches. Look, we've gotta start doing missions better. We gotta be involved in ministry around the world. We gotta send our people to go help teach nationals so they can teach others. We've got to give to reach out to missionaries. We've got to find missionaries who, who are going the same direction as we are. And we want to row with them. Are you holding the rope or are we going to let you down into the mine? One or the other. That's, there is no other option for a Christian. We either hang on to the rope and let them go down into the mine and teach the gospel in places that maybe we don't feel called, but we'll hold the rope for you. Or we go. And I think our church can do both. Some of you moms and dads that have parented very well, we need you. We need you to teach our younger parents. We need that teaching around the world. Some of you know the gospel very well. Some of you can teach. They're begging. I have phone calls, letters begging me to come, send people, help us. Are you ready? This is what the church does. This is what the bride of Christ does. We want people to experience our Jesus, our Lord. Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Last, last comment here. Let me say this. The scriptures know nothing of us called believers who drift away from the local church. Everything is built around the local church. That's God's intention for you to be involved. When... when when people fall away and they leave the church or they get mad or go or something, even if we get a chance to talk to them, we communicate them, get involved in a church. Go to a church that will push you, strive to, to help you. The local church is what God intends. And what happens is if you're not involved in the local church, that you are regular attenders, regular givers, regularly serving within the church, you become a target for Satan. He's prowling. He's prowling. And I told someone just the other day, Satan doesn't just lay in the road where you can see him. You go, there's a lion. I'm not going that way. He waits and crouches. And he waits for your heart to get hard. And he pounces on you. And the Bible says how you can handle this. Be sober spirit. Be right in your mind towards God. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whomever he could devour. But resist him firm in your faith. And this is what we are, faith builders here. We strengthen our faith on Sunday mornings, midweek, personal Bible reading, men leading, women providing examples. This is what we do. We grow. And God strengthens us and firms our faith. So we are people that are active, serving, participating members of the church. We deal with sin. We deal with sin individually. We deal with sin corporately when need be. Because we are his bride. Don't forget that this morning. He dressed you. 
He's gonna present you to his father someday. Be ready. Father, we thank you for this series, Lord. We look forward to returning to John, but Lord, you laid that on the heart of the leadership of the church to spend time as a church studying what the church is, how we became the church, what we're supposed to do, Lord. So Father, we, we wanna thank you this morning of how much we've learned. Father, there's a temptation to say, oh, I already know that stuff. There's a temptation just to forget about it tomorrow morning when the pressures of, of the day begin to hit as we awake. But Lord, we would beg that your spirit would prick our hearts. We would not forget, Lord, who we are. We're a blood-bought bride. We were filthy, dirty, and unlovable. And you came along and you washed us with water and blood as we read this morning. And you have presented us holy and blameless now. We are the church. We are your bride. And so, Lord, may we not forget these things. And as we live our lives individually, Lord, and corporately, may your son be our target. May we pursue him and run after him. Lord, thank you for the ears that heard this. Thank you for these dear people, Lord, who sit before me. Bless them, Lord. Give us together the strength to chase the head of the church, to be obedient to scriptures, to be holy people, holy because you've saved us. Help us, keep us from self-righteousness, Lord. But may we be holy as we chase after you. I give you praise for all of this, Lord. It is all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.